0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I'm careful of this message from Resurrection to Pentecost. Because the Resurrection of Jesus ushered in a new era of what the promise of the Holy Spirit is. In the Old Testament, the people knew the presence of the Holy Spirit, but after Jesus' resurrection, they experienced the power as well as the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 7, It's to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit as him because the Holy Spirit is a person and this person is called a helper. Now if you're going through a crisis in your life, if you're going through challenging circumstances, then we got a helper that's greater than our ability. We have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who's wiser than the wisdom of man and we can start trusting him. Most people think that the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate of Jesus' mission. But that's not true. The resurrection of Jesus is twofold. One, it opened the door for the whole world to come, be reconciled with God. So that the world can experience of their sins being forgiven. And the second, that the whole world can experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The cross was meant to lead us to salvation. The resurrection was meant to lead us to an encounter with the Holy Spirit. For too long, we hang around the cross. The cross objective is that we will experience forgiveness of sin. The resurrection is meant to lead us to experience the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I titled this message, from resurrection to Pentecost because the gospel doesn't just end with Jesus being, Jesus being resurrected. It ends with the demonstration and the fulfillment of the greatest promise, the people in the Old Testament. And Jesus spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit. This resurrection Sunday will mean nothing if we don't encounter the Holy Spirit. After Jesus' resurrection, the first message Peter preached, he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The cross leads you to repentance, but the resurrection leads you to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, this promise that Jesus gave to them on the day of Pentecost is the same promise that God has given us today in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. The Bible says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are of as many as the Lord our God will call. So every one of us are entitled to receive the end result of the resurrection of Jesus, and that is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We must realize that the purpose of Jesus' resurrection was for us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with me? That's the purpose of, of Jesus coming into this world, dying on the cross, being resurrected on the third day, so that you and I, like no other generation, have the opportunity to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that happened in Jesus' life, the time he was born, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. From the time he was resurrected, he was resurrected in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of him, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. How? Through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, we look for healing and we look for salvation from externally. But God says, I put resurrection spirit on the inside of you. And when we realize that, it generates, it recreates our mortal body to life. Everything that God does in our life, whether it's forgiveness of sins, is through the Holy Spirit. If you have salvation, if you have healing and deliverance, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no way we can bypass the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you do, then we're left with only the cross. But we will never live in the power of the cross without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the cross a reality in our life. Everything that Jesus did on the cross, and we could know it and we can quote it, but it's the Holy Spirit who transfers what Jesus accomplished into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the baptism with the Holy Spirit that raised a new generation of radical Christians that transformed people's lives wherever they went. Isn't that true? These radicals were called sons of God because they were not born through human descent or human decision or a husband's will, but they were born of God. That's why they were called sons of God. 1 John 3, 9 says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. It didn't say they do not go on singing, sinning. It says they, they cannot go on sinning. There's a difference. That means there's something of God's life on the inside of us when we are called sons of God that does not allow us to continue living in sin. Why? Because we've been born of God. We are born of God because God's seed, God's spirit is living on the inside of us. There is a reality of the resurrection of Jesus, and that reality is God abiding in man. The Old Testament knew about a God that was outside of them. The New Testament knows about a God that's dwelling on the inside of them. I thought you'd get excited about that. And that's the whole difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How did it happen? How did the transition take place? It took place. Jesus rose. The promise was fulfilled. James and Apostle being adults was radical enough to tell the church, stop being adulterers and adulteresses. Let's look at that verse. In James chapter 4, verse 4. And he didn't hold back what he had to say. And he says. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? So what is the Bible saying? It says whenever we become friends to the world... When we get ourselves attached to the things that are displeasing to God, we commit spiritual adultery. And all adultery in the world starts first with spiritual adultery. And the Bible is saying, this apostle Paul is saying, stop being spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. Stop it. It says because your friendship with the world causes the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside yearns jealously. That means the Holy Spirit is jealous because your attachment and your love for the world is far much more from the things of God. That we will enter into the reality of a God-abiding person called the Holy Spirit on the inside of each and every one of us. The day we understand who he is and how he wants to live and express himself through us, it will alter the way we speak. It will alter the way we live in this world. These were called radical, and not through hymns of God, because they understood they were born of God and not through human descent. Something that happened in their lives was supernatural. And that supernatural experience happened. Not when Jesus was born in this world, but when Jesus rose up and the promise of the Holy Spirit became a reality in their lives. Church, we may call ourselves charismatic or you may call yourself a charismatic, but if you have not experienced the Holy Spirit, you are nothing but automatic, not charismatic. You just automatically live the old life. We must move into that place of understanding and experiencing the Holy Spirit, not just on an Easter morning, but every day of our lives. The Bible goes on to say, if you choose to be a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God, and that's the reality. And I'm going to say that again. If you choose to be a friend of the world, Whether you mean it or not, you make yourself an enemy of God. Look at what verse 6 says. But he gives more grace, more grace. Those of you who are struggling with areas of your life, those of you who are flirting with the world, God says there is more grace coming to you because God resists the proud but gives grace to those who humble themselves. Humility positions you to receive the grace of God so that you can come out from a place of bondage, break your ties with the enemy, and continue to live your life with God. Sometimes we are so filled with our pride, we don't even realize we become enemies with God. The apostles said it as it was, they demonstrated a radical lifestyle. The New Testament church was not built on men and women who lived a compromising life. But the New Testament church was built on radicals. Those who were radical in the way they lived, radical in the way they thought, radical in the way they related with one another, and the book of Acts spells it out. So the church has far moved on from what God intended to what we have made it, and we can see a huge divide. It's time the church comes back to its glory. It's time the church comes back to experiencing the manifest uh, presence of God. How will it happen? It starts with us. It starts with us choosing to be radical in our Christian life. Can you say the word radical? And if you don't know what the meaning of radical is, go look it up on your Bible. You Google search and you get the whole meaning word blown, what it means to be radical. We have gone to church for too long instead of being the church. Am I right, church? I want you to stop coming to church. I want you to start being the church. It's time that the church raised up a generation that of men and women who cannot be bought nor sold. Men and women who will give their lives for the message they preach. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why the power of the Holy Spirit has come to us as a helper to help us to live the radical life. It's time the church got its foundations right. Not by doctrine, but by men and women who will live uncompromising life. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the demonstration of the church today that the world will know there is a resurrected Savior. The church is alive. The church is alive. It's alive by people who don't just come to church, but alive by people who be be the church. Whether you're in our church or whether you're in office, whether you're at home, you are the church of Jesus Christ. You're the church of the living God. You're the church of the resurrected Savior. We have played church for too long. We've been Christians on a Sunday, and then we've been, I don't know what, on a Monday to Friday. Forgetting that, the church is not a place where we go. The church is where we take it wherever we go. That's the church. That's the church. Why was the church so attractive in the early days? Because they were the church. They became the church. They carried the presence of God. Today, we want dim lights, we want good music, and we want someone to sing hallelujah for the presence of God to come. Church, wake up. We carry the presence of God wherever we go. That's the church. You want to sing a hallelujah, sing it wherever you go. Don't wait for a Sunday morning to sing a hallelujah song to carry and feel the presence of God. You are called to be the church. The church of Jesus Christ, the resurrected body of Christ, you, the church of Jesus Christ, come alive. Come away from living a spiritually adulterated life and start living for God. You may like me or not, and who cares? As long as you love Jesus. It's high time we fill the pews of the church with radical men and radical women who will live the life that God has called us to live 24 hours of the day. That's what the Bible says. He gives more grace to those who are willing to humble themselves. More grace. It's our pride that stops us from walking in obedience to God. It's our pride. I just don't want to give in to God. God's saying, I want us to look at a man called Elisha and see what happened to his life when the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and that we could be the Elishas of this day and this generation. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, and you can follow the scriptures or you can hear me narrating it. I'm not going to read the scripture. just want to narrate it. Here was Elijah, a prophet, goes to a place where Elisha, with 12 yoke and oxen plowing the field, doesn't say anything, but Elijah takes off his cloak as is, and throws it on Elisha. Something happened. And Elisha immediately leaves his oxen and he runs after Elisha. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you. Something happens. You start chasing that one thing that you've never chased in your life. And he says to Elijah, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And that's not a bad thing. But look at how Elijah says to him, go back again for what have I done to you? I didn't call you. I didn't ask you to follow me. You chose to chase after me. It was your decision. Verse 21, Elisha turns back, takes the oxen, slaughters them and boils their flesh using his own plow as wood. He burns his plow, cooks a meal, gives it to the people to eat. And then, I love this part of the verse, he arose and followed Elijah And became his servant. If the church is going to come out from that place of obscurity. If the church is going to come out of that place of ridicule and shame into a place of significance. The church must decide today whether we're going to say goodbye. Lives are attached to. Elisha's life was so bound with his father and mother. And that's not wrong. But it only shows that when something means so much to our lives. When the Holy Spirit comes upon our lives, those things don't matter much. And I want to say this to you: You have been born again. You probably lived in the church from child, from but your days. You probably even had a taste of the Holy Spirit, but you found it hard to go back and say goodbye to those habits, goodbye to those relationships, goodbye to, to that lifestyle. And you've carried on living that life, trying to fit God into your schedule, trying to fit God into the things that you do. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, that's the moment God will give you the grace to say goodbye to those things. Are you listening to me this morning? Not only we, he kissed them goodbye, he became a servant to Elijah. And that's what the Christian life is about. That's what the resurrected life is all about. Not only we kiss goodbye to ungodly relationships, kiss goodbye to the things that have gripped and caught our attention, wasted our money, wasted our time and energy, but we're willing to rise up and say, I'm going to be a servant of Jesus, and I'm going to follow him. The reason why Elisha burned his plow, he made sure, that he would never ever go back again to that. All his oxen were gone. All his plow material he used for farming, gone. Never to return. What a radical way to live life. Today, we can't live another day without Facebook. Today, we can't even say goodbye to those ungodly friends. Oh, how rude it will be to say goodbye to those ungodly friends. What if we have some little association? When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, there is no way you can mix what is of God and what is of His kingdom. And that's my story, and that's what God says to you. And if you want to live in the resurrection power of Christ, if you want to live the way Elijah lived, demonstrating something of God's presence in and through his life, it will first say goodbye to some of the things in your life. That's why the first message preacher preached started with repentance. Repentance is saying goodbye. And then you have the Holy Spirit. But you never know what it is to experience the power of the Holy Spirit if you know it's then step one. God wants to raise a new generation, a generation of Elisha's. This is what eternity will hold for you and me. This is what eternity will be, a dividing line between two. It's always two. One day I will preach that word, not very long, but soon I will. And I'm always looking at this word, two. Two trees in the Garden of Eden. Two kinds of people in this world. And here is spelled out for us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. So then, because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So in the kingdom of God, there is no place for lukewarm Christians. You're either burning hot or you're dead cold. Anything in between is deception because no one can measure what lukewarm is. Can you? Lukewarm is anyone's guess. And the Bible is saying that there is only those who are hot or cold. There's no place for lukewarm Christians. And I want you to cry to God and say, God, I want a fresh touch of, of your spirit upon my life, and I made sure there's ample enough time. And say, God, this Easter is going to be a meaningful Easter. If it's going to be about your resurrection, then I want the power of your Holy Spirit. The resurrection is to lead you to the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about baptism with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And probably we will have, I'd love to minister to people that you will be filled and overflowing and speaking in other tongues. But this is a moment of saying, Lord, I'm willing to say goodbye. I'm willing to run after the things of yours. I'm willing to be that Elisha generation to say, Lord, I'm willing to abandon everything and be the church radical. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit wwwadonai ministries.com